Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Regular. My name is Asan, as always, and uh, this week I am joined once again on the podcast by a good, close, personal friend. He's a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, give it up for Bitcoin Drew. What up, Drew? I thought I'd gone back to Posy Drew now, but no, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we did that. What did makes we? what makes me a gentleman? Uh, you're always very polite and uh, kind when I talk to you. Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, is there a, is there like a technical definition for a gentleman? Oh, I don't know. I I, I didn't know. We should look that up. Sure. What is? Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Hold on. What is the technical definition of a gentleman? gentleman? I'm sure. I'm sure a gentleman historically would have been like you know landed gentry or something. A uh, gentleman. Okay. Somebody really sophisticated. Yeah, probably a a, a white landowner. I live um, in Rancho. I live in the 909, so I'm not that sophisticated. <laughs> um, the first definition says a chivalrous, courteous, or honorable man, all three of which I believe you are. Oh, wow. Um, next one is a man of good social position, especially one of wealth and leisure. Is that you? All right. Well, I'll give not the second part, but I'll give you uh, I'll give you my gentleman story for the day. Just Let's as an icebreaker. So uh, I ran to CVS real quick after my um, call and uh, picked up some prescriptions. And I was, you know, buying a 12 pack of beer because it's Thursday and uh, <laughs> it's Friday somewhere. I, yeah, I don't really uh, work too much on on Fridays. Anyway, um, I uh -huh. the lady forgot to ring me up. Oh, and I left and I was looking at my receipt and I realized she didn't rig me up for the beer. So I went back in and paid for it. And it was a different person. It was a guy this time. And he like thanked me. He was like, oh, like that's really honest of you or whatever. And then I go to leave and then the handle breaks in the parking lot and all the beer goes all over the parking lot. So <laughs> like they say, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. So did you go back in and say, hey, uh, all the handle broke on this uh, 12 pack and all my beer yeah. spilled. And they were like. Sorry, we just can't trust your word that that's what yeah. happened. <laughs> Can I get a refund? Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good story. So you've been uh, going to CVS and drinking beers this week. Yep. Uh, uh, just uh, to catch listeners up on what I've been doing this week, because that's what we do here at the Weekly Regular. Mm. I was in. Uh, the reason we didn't have an episode up last week is because I was traveling um, very hectically. So yeah, I saw that you were in Texas. Um, no, this past week, I was in Texas a couple weeks ago. This past oh. week, I was in Lake Tahoe, California. Oh, cool. And a little bit in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Um, so uh, the this was supposed to be a two-fold trip. I was supposed to spend the first half of the trip in Lake Tahoe and then the second half of the trip in Alabama. Uh, the second half of the trip didn't happen in Alabama because there was a hurricane that touched down in the Gulf Coast. So um, I was supposed to go there for work. And uh, it was that trip was canceled because of hurricanes and whatnot. Um, oh, so sucks. I spent I spent the entire week in Lake Tahoe on vacation, which was it was cool. Lake Tahoe's great. I've been there a couple times now. Um, it's fine. It's I haven't good. been since I was. I, well, I just know I've seen pictures that I went when I was like four years old. But uh, apparently, okay. it's beautiful. It is. It's very beautiful. Uh, there's not. A, it's interesting. Um, I'm sure COVID has something to do with this, but there's not a lot to do in Tahoe. Like if you've already been there before, like it's kind of like once you do all the outdoorsy stuff, it's kind of like, all right, what else can we chill. do? It's kind of like not much, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was a good time. It's very relaxing up there. Uh, serene. Uh, it was really nice. Uh, the drive between I had to go to um, uh, at some point I had to go to uh, because of COVID the shopping, uh, 
it's the I'd left my belt at home and the shopping choices of shopping options are very limited up there. So uh, I ended up having to drive like 30 minutes. Why didn't you uh, just do the, the skater thing and use a shoelace, bro? I didn't have any like uh, spare shoelaces. Yeah, Vans um, shoelaces aren't long enough either. Yeah, they're not long enough, and they're just not sturdy. So I was like, oh, I need to get a belt. So the nearest option I could I could go to, unless I wanted a belt with like a giant like yeehaw belt buckle or something. <laughs> Confederate flag. Yeah, if I wanted to get a normal belt, I had to drive to the the nearest um, clothing out uh, clothing retailer, which was a Cabela's outdoor store. So I don't even know what that is. Uh, Cabela's is like it's Bass Pro Shops. It's the same company. It's kind of like a Carl's Jr. Oh, cool. and Hardee's situation. So, um, but the nearest Cabela was in um, like the Nevada side of Lake Tahoe, but kind of like uh, in between Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and Reno, Nevada, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Like you're driving through the desert and these valleys and stuff like that, and then randomly in the middle, there's like a like a it's almost like a what do you call those things in the desert? Like when you're like a mirage. Yeah, an oasis or something. Yeah, it was like yeah, an yeah. oasis. Uh, I wasn't yeah, sure all, if it was real. All the rednecks are like clamoring through the <laughs> desert to get their camo. They're like, what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, it was hey, very... I appreciate the recommendation. Next time I'm in Tahoe, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to go on a shopping, you know, mm-hmm. excursion, I'll head over to Cabela's. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was, But they had uh, like hundreds of belts to choose from. I was very excited. And so I got a belt and oh, sick. Uh, I tried on some Carhartt overalls. That was fun. That's what I was uh, going to say. You know, the only thing I know about like you know redneck kind of hunting stuff is carhartt which is just ridiculous that it's like (laughs) full-blown work attire Mm -hmm. like i got a buddy whose um father-in-law is a farmer and he's wearing carhartt all the time and then you'd fit in you know in silver lake wearing you know a carhartt t-shirt or a beanie well maybe five years ago i'm probably a little dated but no people still wearing carhartt i think uh I think actually uh your boy kanye west is keeping the the workwear trend alive right now that's a good transition into the fact that, you know, he's he's going to be <laughs> VP this year. That's true. Did you, uh, have you voted yet? Um, I haven't signed it yet. You haven't uh, signed it yet. It's, okay. sitting, it's sitting on my table. But you filled out your ballot? Yep. Yeah. Are you, how's your, how's your voter, your voter fraud plan going? Is it, uh, is it going according to plan? Uh, I mean, I just. I mean, it's so easy now that they're doing the mail-in ballots, right? Yeah, I just that, that's something I just don't even give like a second thought about, but it's fine. Well, the the one thing on that that I just find really strange, there's probably uh-huh. some data on this. I guess Trump's reasoning for thinking that Democrats are going to be the ones that are mailing in ballots, right? The mm-hmm. whole like voter suppression angle, not necessarily the fraud angle. Yeah. Um I guess he's assuming that people living on like welfare are the people that aren't going to be leaving the house and they're the ones that are going to be Democrats. Um, but it's crazy because it's old people that vote for Trump. Yeah. Right. And it's people in Mississippi, which Mississippi is the biggest benefactor. Benefactor is not the right word. Beneficiary of like federal benefits, like any, any kind of, that's the Trumpist state and the, um, you know, largest amount of, uh, welfare recipients in America. Um, so it's his people. Yeah, like I don't know. I don't know what the data is, but my that's my knee jerk reaction. Maybe I'm wrong, but it that's seems your hot, like there that's would your be, hot take. There would be way too many Trump voters that are mailing in ballots. So I don't know what he's, you know, worried about. At least in my mind, my grandparents they're mailing in their ballots and they're Trump voters. So you know, I'm I not think really sure. uh, 
uh, this, this, uh, I mean, all Trump conspiracy theories about voter fraud and voter suppression out, uh, aside, this was the first year, this is the first election that I voted in mail-in, um, which I'm sure is a story for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And it was so painless, it should always be like this, you know? Like, it mm -hmm. should always be that easy. You get your ballot in the mail, you fill it out, you go dump it in a box. Like, I feel like uh, it should always be that easy. I don't know why we haven't voted like this always, you know? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I got plenty of thoughts on the whole voting process, but definitely that one. Um, and just the fact that I, 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 I consider myself uh, fairly well versed in the way that other countries run, but Bernie yeah. definitely highlighted it to me before I had ever realized this. Just the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, Election Day is a holiday in other countries. Yeah, it um, definitely should be here. That it's never, like, I remember as a kid, my mom, like, I remember going to vote with her before school so she could drop me off at school and then she would go to work. Like that's such yeah. a crazy routine that my mom had yes. to like get up earlier and take her child to the to go vote. That is just so stupid. That's insane that yeah, that would ever be that's okay. <laughs> anyway, why don't we just make it on the 4th of July or something? Like, a holiday that we are, be, already got, you know. That would be great. Yeah, the the one day a year that we all know like yeah, I, America all, Day. Yeah, it's America Day. Everyone vote on that would be too easy and make too much sense. All yeah. right, so before we get too far into the logistics of voting, because I do want to talk about that, um, I, man, this is going to be an interesting conversation because there's so much I want to talk to you about about this. Uh -oh. um, so I've been doing a lot of thinking lately, like with the election coming up, and like I, I kind of because I'm sure a lot of podcasts and a lot of I mean the news cycle every day is is super political logistics jargon stuff right now especially with the um supreme court confirmation hearings going on and the the election coming up and the, all of it i, I kind of want to stay at least for the beginning of the conversation and pr probably the bulk of the conversation a little bit more like um big picture in terms of the the concepts that we're talking about because there's some ideas that like i really want to talk about uh in terms mm -hmm. of like sort of our values as a country about voting and about representative democracy and, and things like that, that I kind of want to pick your brain about. Um, and I kind of just want to start here. So, cause you seem like the type of guy who's pretty well versed in, you just said it yourself, how other countries run. And then I would imagine our country as well. Um, mm -hmm. and I am someone who is not extremely well versed, but, um, you know, I have ideals and ideas and I'd like, I enjoy sharing those ideas with other people and seeing, um, you know, and, uh, I'm, I'm working hard at uh, being able to like, like, you know, bounce my ideas off people and, and be and have my mind to be flexible because I know social media and the age we're living in is making that harder and harder to do. Mm. Well, with that being said, um, so as I understand it in America, we don't have a pure democratic government. We have like a representative democ democracy, uh, like a republic, I guess is the word, mm -hmm. where the... It's a mixture of democratic voting processes and, uh, you know, representative voting processes where we have an electorate um, of, you know, political people that we nominate and elect and they vote on our behalf for a lot of things like with Congress and then with uh, Senate, House representatives, all that. And then we have like the Electoral College and all of that. So uh, you hear the left a lot talk about um, the value of democracy and the value of you know uh you know 
we see we we see the left talk about the value of democracy and then we even see the right do the same thing uh, when they criticize other countries for limiting democracy that kind of thing and we're, we're very quick to to demonize other places where there's less democracy and stuff like that so like democracy is a word that's thrown around and it's, it's thrown around as a concept that like we claim in america to value right so my question to you is this, like, how much do we really value democracy in this country in, in terms of how our government works? Because it seems to me there's a lot of um, institutions that are as old as the Constitution in place to try to limit um, pure democracy, like to a certain extent. So, like, what what's your opinion with, with, with all of that? Like, should the decisions that happen in this country uh, I guess it's a two-part question. One, uh, do you think our country really values democracy the way that we we claim that we do? And two, like, no should our... Oh, that's short answer. No way. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I guess the second question is, like, should, in an ideal America, should... Should our, elect, should our electoral processes be as democratic as possible? So in your opinion. On, on one side, um, this will... I always, I guess it always sounds like I'm making excuses, yeah. um, but I just want to give more of a historical background. Please do. Um, That's why you're here. Because people, people get so, uh, I think, like I'm really critical of the U.S., but the things that other people How get dare critical you, sir. about, yeah, um, <laughs> which I think is a really patriotic thing to do. Um, but anyway, uh, I, but a lot of people get really critical without any historical context, and that annoys me mm -hmm. like a lot. Um, but so, you know, we're the oldest continuing functioning democracy, democratic republic, whatever you want to call it on earth. Mm -hmm. um, and we were, we were really the first ones to do this. So if you watch like, I'm going to say there's an explained, I don't think it's explained, but, you know, the same category is like a vice documentary where they talk about how, well, they criticize the fact that in 1776, or not 1776, it would have been 1784. Four. Mm -hmm. Give or take. Well, actually, after the Constitution would have been 92 or something, because we had the Articles of Confederation first. But anyway, I don't really care about dates that much, so forgive me, listeners. Anyway, mm -hmm. so when the Constitution was actually, um, you know, written and put together, whatever, agreed upon, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this big criticism of, like, you know, only 20% of the populace could vote. And it was right. white landowners, right? Mm-hmm. And in today's White male terms, landowners. Right, right. Um, and there's this like ahistorical lens where we look at it and we're like, screw those guys. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but that was like the sh the shining city on the hill, right? You mm -hmm. know, all, all of Europe had a king that said like, you know, off with your head, whatever that like line is from, you know, Alice <laughs> yeah. in Wonderland or whatever. Um, yeah. So it was like a massive improvement. At the same time, you were kind of hinting at this. Like we've, we should have moved past a lot of our problems, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I don't think, I don't think Americans in general value democracy that much because the whole point of democracy is that it's born out of like our decisions are born out of struggle. They're born out of disagreements mm -hmm. um, and compromise, right? So right. Um, the whole point of like the checks and balances in the government and right. the competing viewpoints is the fact that everybody always has to compromise to get anything done. Um, and that's the problem with democracies. It's like wildly inefficient, especially on our scale of 330 million people. So mm -hmm. I think, I mean, you could just look at how many executive orders Trump and Obama signed, um, right. 
to say that they were ready to to move past that. Um, so I guess that's the first part of your question is like, how much does America value democracy? Not as much as other countries, but we're also a behemoth. Um, right. Uh, India is bigger. Um, I'm not, I don't think there's anybody between us and India in terms of size. Um, but, but mm-hmm. the, the democracies that we would look to as being like more democratic and mm-hmm. a more efficient at it, you know, we're looking at like Sweden and stuff, you know, we're talking about right. 10 million people. So it's a hard comparison. Um, I think Sweden has more like 12 million, but, um, anyway, and, and then uh, what was the other part of your question was like, should, should, uh, it's like an odd question. Like, should our, our electoral processes be as democratic as possible? Yeah. Uh, so I would, I would say two parts of that. Like one, um, I think the U.S. should be broken up into smaller parts um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I think it's an interesting idea. I think I don't think we can do democracy on this scale. Um, it's kind of crazy, um, and and I think the growing amount of people in our country has contributed to the polarization because you can just move to places where people are are more like minded, right? right? Um, mm-hmm. like the other day I was looking at like the history of California elections, um, and who we've elected and in, well, in terms of who we voted for, for president. Right. And it's like the fact, the past four or whatever have been Democrats, but before that it was Republican. Right. And then before that it was Democrats when the Democrats were racist. So it doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not necessarily like we went blue, red, blue. It's, it's almost more like we were red for a long time and then we went blue and there's been this total shift right um so i think we should be as democratic as possible but i think we need to be broken up in order to do that i guess is the the answer to that question i i yeah i i think that's an interesting point because i do think so here here's my issue with so i you know i buried the lead a little bit i kind of so i i'm kind of of two minds about this because i think that democracy is is important it's very important um even with you know even if even within the the present system i think democracy is still important um and i think the lack of democracy in certain um arenas of public thought and public discourse being ignored is a is a reason we're in a lot of the trouble that we're in now um just politically and socially um right you have to be you have to be okay with the struggle right you have to be okay with the compromise to be okay with democracy true go ahead I think the hard part of where we are now as a country with representative government is is twofold. I think the first first issue that a representative government system faces, uh, the first hurdle, I guess, that it faces with where we are now is um, social media and the Internet. Um, I think mm-hmm. prior to the advent of the Internet and, so, and social media in particular, I think representative democracy was probably the <coughs> best um, form of government that we could have implemented. And I think that's why America has done so many great things, especially in the 20th uh, century. Um, I think in the age of the internet where everyone has access to the same information and also a bunch of different information, like everybody has the whole of human knowledge at, at, the, t- at the tip of their fingers now at this point. So I think opinions now matter, like democratically assessed opinions matter more than they have before because now it's not just experts who know things um but 
so where, yeah. where that's hard for me is though opinions matter more but i don't think they matter as much as the internet and social media makes them think they matter <laughs> and mm-hmm. so i think that i think that's that's what the disconnect we're feeling right now and that's what i think has led us to be at this um this juncture in social discourse where we're at now where it's like it's it, it's so polarized that people are not even Sam Harris says this a lot he says people aren't even making contact with the same reality at, at this point something right. like that I probably, I probably butchered it and I think that that is a huge problem and I think that's a problem at the core of our political and social discourse right now COVID's made it worse because now we don't yes. even have to see people anymore right so now, like, the reality that I'm seeing could be very much and probably is very different than yours because of the siloing of social media uh, that's not helping and, and the democratization of, of, of voices across the board. Now, like, if if so in, in 1969, when we went to the moon, allegedly, I'm just kidding. Uh, mm-hmm. In 1969, when we went to the moon, I think it was 69, right? 68, 69, something like that. Uh, doesn't matter 67 i don't know something like that when we went to the moon uh if the head of nasa got on tv and said we went to the moon that was an agreed upon thing that we all understood to be true um and it mattered more that the person the flag was but the flag was waving and there's no wind in space (laughs) um uh if the head of nasa said that that was the most important like that we just meant- believed him, right? So I just yeah. want to say I, I know you have more to say, but I, I I'm yeah. going to lose this thought. Go um, so the the just the hypothetical counter argument, but it is really really difficult. Like what you're talking about is so important. Yeah. The hypothetical counter argument is the fact that we were all brainwashed, right? We were hypothetically brainwashed before because you know William Randolph Hearst owned all the newspapers and he controlled the narrative. Um, and so we all believed in because there was no alternative. And now we've reached like the pinnacle of democracy where everybody gets to say whatever the hell they want mm-hmm. and we can't handle it. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yep. keep finish your thought though. Yeah, no, I think that's an, an important point. I, cause I do think that now the problem is that now, um, the head of NASA could say something online, but if they choose to say it online, if I, as a, person who has never studied science ever um get online and comment under that person's video and then everybody likes it (laughs) and everybody likes it and it gets a a hundred million likes maybe even more likes in the original post or i just buy likes which now now what i'm saying is holds just as much you know social currency as the as the nasa expert and that is a problem yeah um and and i but that's where we are so i think that it's it's a it's it's a it's kind of a catch 22 because at this point I feel like with the internet, you can't really put lightning back in the bottle. I don't know if that's the, that's the, uh, the saying. I know that phrase, but I actually don't know what it means. So <laughs> you can't that's put what the, it whatever it is back you in the bottle. You can't put like, uh, uh, whatever back in Pandora's box. You can't Pandora's put the box. lion back in the cage. <laughs> you put the lid on Pandora, something like that. Yeah. Something like that with that. So I do think that now more than, like we have to address the fact that, yeah, people do know stuff. Now you can do your own research, that kind of stuff, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, we still have to find some way to come into contact with the same reality. Like We have to find ways to acknowledge people's expertise. And I think what it comes down to, it, it's, it's the shift, it's this fundamental shift from weighing people's arguments based on their authority, which I don't think is always reliable and I think is, is a, is a problematic way. Yeah. To do well, it. I'm at, I'm at, I have a huge struggle there. Right. Cause like I am the authority, right. but I'm also like, 
you know, punk as hell. So right. Uh, I hate it. So yeah, there, there, we're, I think we're sh- <laughs> we're shifting from weighing the merit of arguments f- from the position of authority to a much more, I think, rational way of doing it. Well, this is this is what I hope we do is go to weighing arguments based on evidence and information. Um, and, and that and that is if we can get to that point, success, if we can cross that bridge, I think we'll be better off. Um, because if everyone is presented with the same information and then they form opinions based on that information, well, then we're fine. Then, then right. we're, then we're, then we can really lean into democracy and have a really informed electorate the way that I'm sure the founding fathers probably, I, you know, dreamed about. But I think right now we're stuck kind of halfway across the bridge where like, we can't really depend on, uh, you know, merit based on, a, a you know, a authority based merit, but then at the same time, we're we're not interested in information or evidence so it's like we're in this middle ground that's destroying everything the the thought that pops in my head is like historically this is the university system right right? Mm -hmm. um and so there's this whole you know in some cases it's true but i think it's a Mm -hmm. lot of conspiracy from from the right especially um but this idea that you can't trust like science or data or whatever is coming out of universities um but I think it's because these people, well, there, there, we know that there are studies that are, um, uh, distorted. It's not really corrupted based off of like money and and influence. Right. Um, you know, back in the day it might've been cigarettes. I know that there are alcohol studies that were for sure, um, screwed up, but in general, the vast majority of the real hardcore research work that's happening at universities is postdoctoral scholars who are mm-hmm. making $35,000 a year and they love their subject. Yes. And that's so discounted in the fact that we're talking about absolute nerds that want to figure out, you know, what this two, you know, figure out what the temperature of the air is and how it's affecting the dung beetle in the Sahara. You know, like, yeah. like we're talking about people that have no other interest other than knowing what is going on in the world. Right. Um, and you know, I come into direct contact with that, and I'm I'm kind of making fun of it, but it's it's that's the part that people just totally dismiss and don't get is that the people that are really doing this research aren't making any money. They're literally doing it for like the love of the subject, um, mm-hmm. and they th- people think that there's all this distortion and agenda mm-hmm. coming from it. Um, you know what I think. At least when we're talking about the hard sciences, um, yeah. If we're talking about you know more of the social sciences, then there are a lot more agendas. But yeah. But in the hard sciences, it's just literally I really want to know what the dung beetle does at two p.m. every day, um, and people yeah. dedicate their dissertations to that. That's a great so. point, and I think that's why it's important now more than ever. Like. Education in critical thinking is now like super, super important. And I think like, you know, people on the right often get mad at sites like Facebook and stuff like that, fact checking things. Um, And I understand where that comes from because they, they, they assume that Facebook has a bias and that they're selective with the fact checking. And and if there's evidence for that, they they should be skeptical of that. They're a business. So who cares? Right. But but That's the act of fact checking and 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 making sh- and really policing misinformation, I think, is crucial to the future of our 
of just humanity. Um, yeah. it, it, it has to it has to happen because I think about like this. There was so I don't I don't so the whole the whole mistrust of you know experts and scientists and and things like that because oh well companies have agendas and they're funded by companies or scientists have agendas because they're funded by companies that have agendas and blah 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 blah. Okay, just so just imagine this: every almost every scientific uh, innovation and discovery of anything over the past thousands of years, however has been funded by organizations often religious that have very clear biases and 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 motivations that aren't purely scientific. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if in the, you know, whatever the the 1500s or whatever, some scientist is hired or funded by the Catholic Church to discover a way to find heaven, right? And that same scientist along his discovery to try to find heaven, discover something crucial about the, the universe, right? That maybe even, uh, so say, say in that, in that, uh, the timing probably doesn't line up with this example, but say in that pursuit of finding heaven somewhere in the cosmos, that scientist discovers that there's, uh, another planet in the universe that has the same conditions as, as earth to have life, right? Let's just say that that happens. Mm-hmm. The, the Catholic Church, more more likely than not, would be very upset by that discovery and would not want that information out there. So that person, that scientist is likely to be killed or, or you know, whatever, if they share that information. So really, like so many different discoveries through science that have been funded by corrupt organizations have had to come to light either after that person was killed or in the face of that person's, like, profa- profound bravery, which is, I think, is... If you think about the internet now today, and we all have access to you know human knowledge, we are now in the best time possible because the 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 ver- the the burden of truth doesn't fall on singular brave scientists in the face of being murdered or like it doesn't have to be some miracle. Like now, we all have the power to verify something's. Um, accuracy we we all have the tools of science we all have the internet we all have that so i think we're poised to i mean do amazing things like we're but but in order to do that we have to value truth you know empirical truth more than anything like we can't value our own our own opinions more than anything we can't value our own biases more than anything and 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 you know that sounds impossible like how can we do that but the whole point is the scientific method is designed to do just that and i you know i so it's like we have to value the scientific method not just oh we have to listen to scientists yes you have to listen to scientists but yeah, even so i want to get on, i want to get on the science kick real quick real, yeah real even quick more than because, i was just going to say just to put a button on it even yeah. more than even more than we have to listen to scientists and listen to experts we have to truly embrace the scientific method in terms of our critical thinking and how we process information sorry go ahead so um i've i've said it before and i hate to like pull out a card but i'm just saying it because this is like um something i could talk about forever but like yeah. philosophy of science and philosophy of religion those are like my two main things yeah and um there's just a i think everybody in america should be required to take a philosophy of science course mm-hmm. um because the problem is we're just taught science and we don't actually know understand how it works mm-hmm. um and so you're allowed to have dissenting views and it's hard to combat 
uh, or compete against people that have dissenting views because they don't understand the way that science works. And it's actually a philosophical problem related mm. to science, not the science itself. Right. So that's an interesting this distinction. Is, this is especially uh, apparent in COVID right now. So people, uh, the way that people look at the average person looks at science incorrectly. They mm -hmm. think that science is objective and it's 100% true. Science is objective and it's 100% true given the tools that we have and the data that we have now. And so given this whole COVID situation, people, especially uh, people like in, in the Trump camp, keep saying like, oh, like, don't trust science. Like the CDC is making shit up. They're not making shit up. <laughs> science changes, right? So, so the way that the, the way that data works is yep. that you have the available data and you make decisions based off of it. When your model changes, you make decisions based off of it, um, right. and that's the way that science moves. And, um, and I think there's an important just just to put something here. I don't want you to forget what you're mm -hmm. saying, but I think uh, it's important. It's when you say the scientific tools. This is for the audience. When you say the tools of science, it's not just microscopes and and computers. It's the tools of the scientific method as well. It's 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 checking. It's uh, what's the word? It's the um, uh, cross-checking information that is the probably is the most important part of science. I forget there's like the specific they like call phrase it, they for call it, it either verifiability or falsifiability, which yeah. are two different things, but they're related. Exactly, um, like that the, part the is the most important part. The idea that you could verify part. things, or the fact the the idea that you could falsify something. Right. Um. Yeah. So, uh, David Hume who probably most people know that name even if they never took philosophy uh but 1600 scottish philosopher um big in terms of philosophy of science and philosophy of religion is the One lake the is the lake named after him uh, uh he That's was not question. very religious so probably not oh, okay um, gotcha. <laughs> i never went to hume lake but i heard it was cool <laughs> Um, that was more of a that was more of a nine oh nine er thing, and I was a six two sixer when I was in high school. So, oh, okay. Um, anyway, uh, so one of the things that Hume says, and I'm not paraphrasing it totally correctly, but you're basically rationally justified in acting on the data that is available to you at that time. Yeah. He knows, and we know, we know that the science we have today will be proven wrong. Maybe not all of it. We like to think that there's progress. There's a deeper philosophy of science conversation as to whether science is even making progress, and I don't want to go there. Right. But the idea is that based on what we know today, you can rationally make decisions. And so mm -hmm. six months ago, when uh, – and this might not be 100% the case, but I'm just using it as an example. But I want to say six months ago they said even if you don't have symptoms, you could be spreading it. And today they're saying you could only be spreading it if you have symptoms. They weren't lying then. They didn't have a political agenda then. <laughs> That's what they thought to be true. Right. Based um, on the evidence they had. Based at the on time. the evidence they had. And I think I think that would clear up. I, I really believe that it would clear up 99% of the problems with science. It's not that people don't believe in science because I always ask, you know, of close family members who have these problems, what are you going to do when you have a heart attack? Go to the mechanic? No, you're going to go to the doctor. So don't don't lie to me. Don't bullshit <laughs> me about the fact that like you don't believe in science. Right. Um, they just don't understand the fact that 
science is kind of has a pinball action. Yeah. Um, other, so there's a, there's a concept from Thomas Kuhn where he's way more extreme than that. And mm-hmm. he says that science isn't even moving in a direction. It's moving based on whatever our, our agenda is. Right. Um, and, and they're completely incommensurable. The term, he came up with the term paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are just words to look up, but we yeah. don't need to go all the way down that. I, yeah, I think that's important. And I almost feel like it sucks that we're at this place now, but I almost feel like we have to give, like we should give, we should figure out another name for the scientific method. Um, because I think that the term science now is so loaded um, mm. that like when people, if I were to say someone to someone like, um, well, how do you know that's true? Have you used a scientific method to figure out if that's true? They'll, they, they immediately think beakers, graduated cylinders, uh, yeah. microscopes, lab coats and things like that. But the scientific method is not just something for doing research in a lab. The scientific method is quite literally the process of critical thinking and should be used for everything. And, mm. and, and we use it for a lot more than just experiments in everyday life, but we don't, um, we don't realize we're doing it. So like if yeah, I, yeah. if I read, so just for an example for the audience, like if, if you read a story online or say, say, say someone, uh, say you read a story online and you say, uh, Drew, you, your wife's name is Amanda, right? Yep. So say you read online that, um, Amanda R from what city you guys live in? Rancho? Yeah. Rancho C is what we call it. Rancho C. So if <laughs> if you read online, if someone posted on Facebook that Amanda C, Amanda R, because your last name starts with R, Amanda yeah. R from Rancho Cucamonga, California, won the lottery today, right? Mm-hmm. You would not take that. You would not take that uh, as evidence that your wife has won the lottery, unless you formed a hypothesis. Your hypothesis is. If my if the R stands for my last name and it is the same person that I'm thinking of, it is the same person as my wife, then my yeah. wife has won the lottery. That's your hypothesis. Then you would test that hypothesis. You would look up who is Amanda R that won the lottery today. And if you couldn't find that information or say you did find that information on some website, maybe on the lottery's Wikipedia, if that's what they did, <laughs> then you then you would take that information. OK, you tested your hypothesis and you got this answer. Then you would take that answer and you would try to you would communicate your results to your scientific community. You would call your friends and family and be like, hey, do you guys know if Amanda won a bunch of money today? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. they would say yes or no. Maybe you got some yeses. Maybe you got some no's. And then eventually you would so say a hundred say you asked a hundred of your family members hey did amanda win a bunch of money today and 98 percent of them said yes and and two of them were haters and said i don't know i don't care no i don't think so yeah yeah you would then have a reasonable assumption a reasonable hypothesis or a reasonable theory i think theory is a technical term you would have a reasonable theory based on the evidence and your uh testing of said evidence that your wife won the lottery that is the scientific method in action, but people don't think about mm-hmm. it that way, and I think that's a detriment to, to to critical thought because people will take information and say, well, I've seen this article posted by a lot of people. It must be true. You've skipped several steps in the process <laughs> yeah, yeah. that I think are crucial. So I think we should find another name. Like, we should just call it critical thinking instead of the scientific method because I think the, that's the only way to go forward in the age of the internet is to really hammer away critical thinking. Like there should be degrees in critical thinking. Like I you should have thinking. courses in high school. Like one of you, you know, you have math, science, history, uh, English, and critical thinking. Like it should be yeah. its own class. 
Yeah, it, it so because we went to APU, they didn't have that course. Um, <laughs> but we had to take philosophy, mm-hmm. which isn't which isn't normally required. Um, right. And so that's the way they covered that base, um, gotcha. which I got no problem with. But um, in the community college system and in CSU's, uh, I don't think at UCs, but they have to take critical thinking. Really? Um, and I teach yeah. it. I think um, it should be taught earlier than that, quite oh, honestly. Oh, yeah. It should be in, it should be required every single year. Yeah, um, totally. No, I often think like, at what age am I going to hand my son a logic textbook? Um, <laughs> so he has a pass for life. Um, and then I think, wow, I probably shouldn't do that. You know, I played a lot of hockey as a kid and I didn't really work on those <laughs> kinds of problems, but anyway, yeah. um, but yeah, back to your like lottery example, like right. a, there's even a way more basic, uh, and you wouldn't know this cause you don't know Amanda, right. but the way that I would respond to reading that announcement is I'd be like, like, this is, I wouldn't even take it seriously. Why? Because I've never heard of Amanda's, Amanda's never even told me that she's bought a lotto ticket ever. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, the odds of her winning the lottery, nil. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine she's never bought a lotto ticket in her life. Sorry. No, you're good. So, so, but that's critical thinking, right? Yeah. Um, not jumping to that conclusion. So, but coming back to the, I made a couple notes because I wanted to give this example. Go for it. And, it, and I'll give you a theory. My theory is that millennials are the best at weeding through bullshit uh, mm-hmm. on the internet. Um, and the reason why is that we didn't have the internet curated for us right. between the ages of you know 11 or whatever when we first started getting on the internet to research things. You know, there, there wasn't like SEO optimization, you know, search engine optimization and stuff like that. And right. um, there weren't algorithms feeding us stuff. You could find whatever you wanted whenever you wanted, as long as you just put it on the internet. Um, and we had to feed through all of this crap. Um, and the older generation wasn't on the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. and they weren't used to seeing bull crap on the internet, but we were, you could go on e-bombs world and you could see all kinds of stuff. You go on (laughs) Homestar Runner. Yeah. On the B9 and see (laughs) wild ass things. But, um, I forgot about the B9. Those photos that circulated of, uh, the American Nightmare reunion show and people were saying there was some guy who was stage diving in a suit and people said that it was Ryan Gosling. I don't remember that. So, yeah. So on the B9, but you had to think critically about that. Yeah. You had to think critically <laughs> because there were no shots of his face, but like everyone, but that was reposting, yeah, everyone was reposting <laughs> it saying that's Ryan Gosling. And, and it, it was weirdly believable because like, yeah, maybe Ryan Gosling does listen to an American Nightmare and he had a suit on. So you're like, yeah, hmm, if, an out of, if an out-of-place celebrity was at a hardcore show, maybe they would be wearing That a was suit. such a phase. That was like a 2008-2009 phase where I swear <laughs> everybody in hardcore was trying to claim that somebody that mattered cared yeah. about our music. <laughs> yeah, either they were in either they were in the hardcore scene or they were straight edge yeah, or yeah, something like, like that. Uh, yeah, Pete Wentz and stuff, you know. Yeah, that dude from Dashboard. Um. That dude from Dashboard. Well, he was. Further seems forever, dude. Yeah, um, no, he, he actually was. Dashboard. But they they tried. They, I remember there was like some of the celebrities on the list were like Kristen Stewart and like, and like yeah. just wild celebrities just because they didn't drink. They're straight edge. It's like, nah, there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, they're vegan. They all, they're all big into Earth Crisis. Did you ever yeah. see that? There was that one picture of somebody who got Earth Crisis tattooed on their face. Did you ever see that? No, I don't think I ever did. Somebody got Earth crisis like earth on one cheek and crisis on the other cheek just like a beard like your beard 
Earth Crisis. Nice. Like, that is just absurd. <laughs> but anyway, back yeah. to the topic and, and filtering through bullcrap. Yeah. Um, I was having this conversation with my parents recently because a elderly member at their church um, who is like... I'll also call them an elder in the fact that they don't have that structure at my parents' church, but they've probably been members of the church for 40 years, reposted this meme that George Soros was a Nazi, and it was just like, it was the most Microsoft paint bullcrap you've ever seen in your life, where it's like George Soros's head, and like a swastika, and then like Obama, or like, like it was just like the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen, right. and my that's when I started kind of developing this theory where it's like, they're just not used to this. They see right. things like it's been pounded into our brain since we were 11 years old. And the fact that you went over to your friend's house and they pulled up like, you know, somebody taking a crap in a bathtub on, on the Internet when you were like 12. And you had to like literally you had to start filtering these things from a really young age. And then mm -hmm. I say I say that because Gen Z, the people younger than us, grew up with the algorithms and just stuff being fed, whatever they wanted to believe was being fed to them, which we yep. didn't have until recently. But now my feed just looks like a bunch of Trump supporters because that's the stuff I always respond to because <laughs> I'm always looking for a fight. Um, you, you brought up an interesting point and that made my brain go somewhere else that I think is an, a, like also interesting. But I think part of the confusion about reality and, and, and part of the reason why we're not... Um, all interfacing with the same reality is because the internet and social media has changed the way that we communicate um, in the sense that now we, I think really for the first time on a wide scale, we communicate mimetically. Like we communicate with memes and not just like quote unquote internet memes. I mean like like memes, the, the, the philosophical sort of term where like, or anthropological term, I don't know what, what technically it is, but um, well, it's uh, uh Biological. It's biological. It's, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins came up with the term meme. Gotcha. Well, like we now communicate that way and the Internet has has equipped us to communicate that way. Whereas before, if 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 I were to say to you, Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon is uh, a terrible president, uh, you I would have to then justify that with some reason to why he's because we're just talking we're having a conversation it's not good enough to just make a statement you know what i mean that's like mm -hmm. a that's a we know we understand intuitively that that's a bad conversation if someone just makes a claim and then doesn't say anything else like that's just on a surface level it's a bad conversation if that scene were in a movie if one character goes richard nixon is a bad president and he walks off that would be a horrible scene because that's not that's not fulfilling substantial conversation this is music to my ears by the right. way Go ahead. but but on the internet um, that is the way we communicate with, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's strategically done that way with Twitter only allowing you to use 140 characters, like the, the emojis and emoticons right, so, and things so like that. Some, I just want to inject one thing. Yeah, go for I it. Want, I want to hear the rest of you said, but some journalist from the UK that I don't know who he is said that basically either you think that Kamala is actually the best candidate out of the four for mm -hmm. president or you must be a racist or a sexist. Yeah. And the only reason that that phrase would ever be said anywhere in any kind of seriousness is because it's 160 characters. Yeah. And you have to, like, get to the point. Like, right. It's absurd that somebody would, like, a public person verified on Twitter would put, just throw that out into the world. Or right. When Donald Trump said he had never seen a skinny person drink Diet Coke. 
Oh, wait, that's totally different. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's crazy. So now, like, now, but see, and I think here's where I think is maybe a counter argument against um, sort of the youth culture or millennials, whatever you want to call it, and our use of the internet. We've now confused and blurred the line of, of, of real statements and and sort of figurative language so now mm-hmm. if someone if someone looks at the totality of what donald trump represents with his idea his xenophobic ideas about trade and and how he's referred to people of color and things like that and like and how he feels that like it, you know if, if if there was evidence that donald trump felt like the only you know the only good uh politicians are conservative politicians that agree with him who typically would be white guys whatever you could you could come to i think with the evidence proven you could come to the conclusion that i think it's fair to say an artistic statement online that if someone says hey look donald trump is a nazi right there there is a context in which that is understood that that is a mimetic way to communicate that Donald Trump has some bad ideas that are not unlike some of the pathologies used by the Nazi party in Germany right mm-hmm. um that person is not literally saying Donald Trump is a Nazi has swastikas all over his clothing and would lynch a black person if he had the opportunity however because we now communicate mimetically where, so our generation, for the most part, I think, is versed in communicating that way. So we have the ability, most of us, not all of us, most of us have the ability to see through the figurative sort of mimetic language and, and, and derive what the greater truth is that has been condensed down to whatever the person has said. Everybody cannot do that. And so the problem with, with now communicating with memes and, and this sort of like ultra condensed language is that people then read those things and then they see them because memes are designed to be packaged in a way that they spread quickly. Now, when people see that, they've seen a thousand, you know, millions of people have said Donald Trump is a Nazi. So either there's, you fall on one or one of either side, you buy it and say Donald Trump is a Nazi. He's a supporter of the Nazi party. Or you go to the opposite and you and then you start to you deny it. But in, in, in just a pathological way, you say, well, if Donald Trump's a Nazi, then, you know, all these liberals are socialists and want to see us in bread lines. And you know what I mean? So it's this right. it's this failure yeah, yeah. to it's this fa- it's this. It's a deliberate lack of nuance as an artistic expression taken literally. And I think that's that's where we are right now, too, with a lot of our miscommunication. That was just an idea. Absolutely. No, I I definitely agree. The brevity is killing us. Um, And then the fact that you can, you know, just throw things out on the Internet. Okay, so one total side note. Mm-hmm. You said a lot of serious things, and I'm going to come back to those. <laughs> no, but I just it. I just want to get on one pedestal. This is so, a comedy podcast. So <laughs> what what is a troll? What's an internet troll, Hassan? Can you define that for everybody? I think an internet troll is someone who, or a group of people, but I think an internet troll is someone who derives entertainment or value uh, or meaning out of getting a rise out of people on the internet perfect whether for positive or negative you you uh a plus so i hope we have some gen x or some boomers listening and understand (laughs) that that is what the word troll means yeah um so like people uh, for some reason troll has become a word where like if anybody disagrees with you on the internet they're trolling yeah uh and they're all these like they're always like uh titles on news sites where it's like oh trolls responded to 
Demi Lovato and called her fat. And it's like, those they're are not, not trolling. Trolls. Those are not trolls. <laughs> they're just they are mean being people. Assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're totally wrong. You got, you totally. And, and so people like dismiss people and say like, oh, they're just trolls, but they're not trolls. Like those are actually mean people. They exist in, in on earth. Yeah. Um, you can usually see through actual trolling because it's usually sarcastic and it's funny. Well, anyway. I think, I think, well, <laughs> let me say this. I think yeah. that one of the telltale signs telltale 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 uh i'm really bad at that kind one of, stuff. of uh, one of the telltale signs of a troll is that there is at the core of them there is no agenda other than getting people yeah, up in arms fun. yeah, yeah. so fun. like if if there's some strong agenda one way or another i, I that's not trolling that's being mean about pushing your agenda yeah, <laughs> you just disagree yeah i've been, i've been accused of trolling when i'm being dead serious dead ass yeah. when i've been dead ass on the internet people are like oh he's trolling no i'm not definitely not trolling yeah, and, totally and, and there's the difference between trolling and being a contrarian as well because some people because right. I, I i am guilty of being a contrarian online sometimes like i will mm -hmm. i will purposely go against the status quo of whatever some consensus is on a facebook post or something like that because i enjoy De debating and I enjoy exchanging thoughts and I, yeah. I love the thought of experiment of debating but my I'm friends not, have told I, me that I have to say devil's advocate before I do that <laughs> that's otherwise probably they take a good, me seriously and then and then everybody's <laughs> mad at me <laughs> yeah that's probably a good principle but that's not trolling trolling no. is someone who it, it, you know indiscriminately goes to you know online to someone and does whatever they can in the moment to get a rise out of that person it doesn't matter what it is there's no like through line there's no agenda it's just mm. they are literally just trying to get a rise out of people and trolling is is much more niche than i think what we think it is it almost uh, broke into the mainstream in like 2006 and it never did and yeah. now you know now it's even more of a niche but yeah um, I say yeah, niche I think, because I think I'm American flat, and I'm not trying to be you know, some <laughs> French ass person. I think flat, like the flat earth community, I think most of them are trolling. All right, let's take that. I don't think they're trolling, but let's come back. To, let's go so? to that because I, I, I want to come back to what you said before. Yeah. So you said that and I said it was music to my ears and I totally agree. So the way that I start off a lot of my classes is I say, well, the philosophy classes is I say, you're not allowed to post in the discussion board and use the words, I think, I feel, I believe, in my opinion, personally, honestly. Right. And there's this awesome meme that's a, it's like a picture of the Kardashians sitting uh -huh. around a table and it just says like, like it's, it's like a, yeah, script. Kim, well, I mean, and then like Chloe's like, well, honestly, personally, and then like, you know, whatever all the other names are like, well, in my opinion, um, according to my experience, this salad is yuck. And it's like nothing was yeah. even said. And so I give this right. example where I say, and it's specifically about the flat earth. If somebody comes up to the front of the class and says, I believe the earth is flat in our, in our culture where we say things like everybody's entitled to their own opinion, which is just not true and a total distortion of where that came from. <laughs> I'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. But if somebody prefaces something with, I think, believe, I feel, I feel the earth is flat. Everybody's like, oh, it's great that you feel that way. Right. And so I, what I tell my mm -hmm. students is I say, you have to, you try to say what you just said and remove those words. And then all of a sudden you have to back up what you just said. If you went up to the front of the class to give a presentation 100%. and you said, the earth is flat, 
the standards of evidence just completely changed. Everybody's now thinking you're an idiot as opposed to a crazy person, right? Um, I think it's rooted mm-hmm. in like the history of psychology where all of a sudden when psychology came out, which is really only 120 years old, we said that people are entitled to their feelings. I don't like the word entitled, but what that means is that your feelings are real. Please talk about them to me. Guess what? I feel the earth is flat is a complete perversion of that idea because that's not a feeling. Right. That's that that's that's something that's investigatable scientifically. So Yes, that's a statement of that's a statement of objective reality that yeah, you're about making reality. And it's false. <laughs> yeah, you don't get yeah. to feel that the earth is flat. You don't get to like in in my experience, in my personal opinion, like literally if I had a dollar for every time a student wrote a sentence that was just utter BS and they threw in the word like personally in the middle. Um, you know how I used to do it? You would like this is I used to play and I realized this is like the philosophy background where you don't have, you don't really read the room very well. You just think like in terms of just literally what's happening. I used to start class and beginning of the semester where students don't know me very well, which isn't really good videos of racists mm-hmm. injecting those words into the things that they're saying. So mm-hmm. there's like this really classic video like I had multiple of them that I would line up, like think about how stupid these things are. That these people are saying, and they get defensive and they start using them more. So mm-hmm. there's this one from like some dating show and I don't remember what it was. And I'll send you the link. Cause you'll, you'll, mm-hmm. well, you'll laugh, but it's like a, a really bad laugh. But anyway, there's this Polynesian guy, um, who like went on a date with the black girl. I think it's like a black or a blind date thing. Um, and he starts talking about, well, I just, you know, I didn't like her cause she was black or something. And the host is like, are you kidding? The host was also black. He's like, are you kidding me? And then he starts saying things like, well, well, my experience, like personally, in my opinion, he starts throwing all these words out there. And all of a sudden you get to like guard yourself around your BS opinions by saying those things, because what he said is right. not at all justifiable. You guard it by saying that it's, I feel, I think I believe anyway, I, I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's I, I something do... that I, when you were saying it, I'm like, yeah, way to go. Way <laughs> no, to go totally. <laughs> um, I, I do feel like it, it's the more and more we talk about these things, there's like, this is not to say that there isn't like feelings are not valid because they are, especially right, right. when you're talking about things that, that have to do with feelings. experience. <laughs> right. But when you start talking about feelings, about reje- feelings don't dictate objective reality. That is the point. Right. Um, feelings are perfectly valid when, when talking about things that, you know, when talking about subjective experience, like, and this is where I think the right, uh, often gets wrong. Um, no pun intended. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I see videos of, you know, people like Ben Shapiro and, and Candace Owens and stuff like that say, they often say science and, or facts don't care about your feelings. And that's, and they say that in. I love it, that T-shirt. I've seen somebody it, wear a T-shirt that said that. And they say that to dismiss the subjective subjective experience of others wholesale in yeah. favor of data that they think is, you know, supportive of their arguments against whatever. So, yeah. like, oftentimes it's used. The most, the more times I, the most of the time when I see it, it's it's people saying, um, uh, they're you know. It, it's, it comes down to semantics, but when people say, like, I, uh, I'll see people on the right, like, 
dismiss the idea of of uh, racial inequality in, in the United States. Let's just take with policing, because they'll pull up all this data that says, you know, white people are actually killed more than black people in the United States by police, if you look at the numbers. So what they're doing is they're playing a language game and saying, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. You're saying you feel like there's systemic uh, inequality in policing. What that person is actually saying, when someone who says, there, you know, based on their experience, if, if a black person says to you that there is, uh, they've experienced uh, racism, you know, with police mm-hmm. and things like that, they're not making a statement about the objective um, reality of, you know, the statistics of how many white people versus how many black people get shot. That's not what people are saying. And I think it's important to clarify these things. What people are actually saying is, is there's a different, a fundamentally different experience for a majority of people of color in this country when dealing with the police. That is not something that is a, uh, an, an objective statement about reality. That's a, a, that's a, a statement about people's subjective ex- experiences with you know predominantly white authority. And you can't really call that into question. Like you cannot, I cannot tell you that you're wrong about your experience and you cannot tell me that I'm wrong about my experience. But what, you know, if we wanna actually have a conversation about statistics and data about systemic, because I think there's if we want to talk about systemic, you know, uh, racism only in terms of deaths by the hand of police. Well, then, yeah, statistically, there is no systemic racism in policing. But to, I think that that approach to try to, you know, try to leverage certain facts that feel good against your argument against people's, you know, real subjective experiences, I think is kind of like a perversion of what we're talking about, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And I I know we we weren't planning on going down the policing route. Uh, I know. So I, don't know if, I don't know if we want to go there, but uh, the we don't have to. It's up to uh, you. If we want to, we can. The only thing I was gonna say, um, was that the I guess the problem with that, and it's gonna. I always give these kind of disclaimers where it's like, oh, it's going to sound like I'm being conservative, but go for it's it. It's not, it's not, um, is that, uh, I'll call it the scientific method. How about that? Mm-hmm. Um, cause facts don't care about feelings. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, but I think, I think the core issue there that somebody from, well, I'll just say Ben Shapiro, I actually have never even, I think I've watched one video from Ben Shapiro. Um, yeah because my friend's dad posted it on Facebook and I responded to him. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, the problem is that when we legislate people's subjective experiences, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm mm-hmm. feeding it back to you, the whole scientific method thing, right? right? So like, and this is a very hypothetical question, but let's say we do a poll. Right. This, cause this is really what, this is really, I guess what you're getting at is like, we're going to pull every single American and we're going to tell them, check a box, what race are you? And then check a box. Well, I guess maybe maybe we're going to have 10 questions that says like, uh, that describes interactions with police, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to legislate based on what, what those people's perception of the situation mm-hmm. is, um, which I would have a massive problem with. Mm-hmm. Um because I would say I would fall on the side of the camp that's like facts don't care about your feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I just always give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, and I've had plenty of bad interactions with police officers. I've seen one really good 
Facebook, uh, I'll call it a thread because it was like hundreds of comments long. <laughs> yeah. Um, where somebody said like, share your experiences with police officers. And this was six months ago when it was really hot. Right. Um, mm-hmm. when this was all first blowing up, um, and it was actually really good. It was a really good read in terms of what people were talking about in terms of their experiences with police officers. Mm-hmm. But then what do you do? What do you do on that, right? Um, because I do have a heavy hand in terms of like, like people will get mad at me for things that I do or say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if if you know me, you would give me the benefit of the doubt and know that I wasn't being a jerk. Right. Um my mom ignores me 90% of the time uh, <laughs> because she knows I'm just being me. Right? Yeah. Uh, and Amanda's the same way. And I say that because uh, there are people, uh, and this, I hope this isn't even coming back on the race conversation because I'm talking about just subjective perceptions of things. Um, mm-hmm. There are people that perceive things certain way and people that perceive things other ways. And I don't know how you would ever legislate based off of that. Um, so, and I think that can, that's I, can I address that? Yeah, go ahead. So I think this, I mean, it's, it's funny how the universe works because I think this is getting us back to our question of democracy. And because mm-hmm. and, and, I think this is where democracy really comes in. And I think democracy is really important with issues of subjective experience. So let's just, let's just take it out of race for a second because I think race mm-hmm. is very loaded. Let's talk about um, uh, people with disabilities, right? And let's just talk about people who are confined to wheelchairs, right? Mm -hmm. If if you took a survey, a random survey of uh, of Americans, right, and um, you took a random survey of Americans of 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 a large number of, assuming you could do this, assuming you could take a survey of millions and millions of people in America, and a large percentage of or a certain percentage of are in wheelchairs, right? Mm -hmm. And you conducted the survey and said. Do you feel as do you in your experience? Uh, so you know, in your experience, do you think America's infrastructure, in terms of buildings and things like that, are um, are are accessible enough for people with disabilities? Like in your experience, do you think there's enough uh, disability accessible, um, you know, means of accessibility for people with uh, disabilities in wheelchairs and whatnot? If the the percentage of people who were in wheelchairs, if they all said no i think so if they all said no right they said no we we think there needs to be more um accessibility for people in wheelchairs yeah even even if you had some kind of math equation where statistically it said you know you know to be so you know I, to I, be I, to be ex- I'm, oh, sorry go ahead. i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you finish yeah <laughs> uh, kanye since he's running for vp um yeah because I'm going to get hung up on this and I, I know I'm going to, sorry, only, I want to hear the rest of what you're saying, Go ahead. but there's an objective measurement of whether a wheelchair gets up a curb. Of course. Right. Right. Which is different. Right. Yeah. How do you measure, how do you measure a policeman being like rude to you or, or like other than killing, like kill, that's extreme, but you know what I mean? Like the, the well, well, I, I think if I finish, I, di- I think if I finish it might, right, it might ahead. illuminate that. So, cause yeah. so say the question is worded, um, do you th- yeah is America uh, disability accessible enough? And mm-hmm. you and then people overwhelmingly said no in their experience, right? 
Um, that's not a specific question. That's not the same question as are there enough ramps? Are the curbs low enough? It's just mm-hmm. a question of general experience, right? Okay. If you if yeah, you were yeah. to ask that, right? Yeah. And 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 if almost all people in wheelchairs said no. Even if you had a specific study that said, well, in order for a building to be deemed uh, disability accessible, they need to have one ramp for every 30 people in a wheelchair. Let's just make that up, right? Mm. Even if every building in America was compliant to that, I think personally, this is where my opinion comes in. I believe that personally, the experience being expressed by those people in the wheelchair should should factor into what legislation comes out after this survey. So if even if they're that the, those equations check out statistically, I think mm-hmm. that there still is obviously something gone awry in the experience of those people in disabilities. And I think that that has to come into play. Now, does that mean, well, these people still said no. So that means we have to build more ramps. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm not saying what do we do? Lower all curbs. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is. The fact that you have some equation statistically that supports, you know, an argument saying that it is um, accessible enough, I don't think that that outweighs the subjective experience of those people. Is that what I'm saying? So I think mm-hmm. our, our legislating has to become more nuanced and it can't just be people of color feel unf- unjustly handled by the police more often than not. Uh, but the statistic says uh, white people are killed by police more. So we're good. I, do, I just don't think it can be that simple. You know what I'm saying? I don't White think it's black dudes. I don't know. I, I love, I love it when you just like throw out the words. It's so funny because yeah. you gave this big, like, uh, like in-depth intellectual thing. It's like, well, white dudes, black dudes. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got to keep right. it grounded. This is a very grounded podcast. We're not trying to get too heady for people. I definitely totally understand where you're coming from in terms of like assessing the population and the fact that they should be, pretty good um i'll call them just assessors of what's actually happening in reality um Mm -hmm. but i want to just give one again you know devil's advocate uh scenario sure in terms of just the lens that we see the world um so for whatever reason well i'll just i'll say sorry i'm kind of scrambled right here um so one of my best friends her dad is a cop Mm -hmm. Um, and she is a very big BLM supporter. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, she literally posted like multiple times, like a cab. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, what about your dad? Whatever. Um, but the (laughs) irony of the situation is that she says, she told me, you know, I, I read these stories and you know, what's like different about being a black person is that when you see a cop, you don't feel safe. You feel threatened. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, apparently you never skateboarded or played punk rock. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Like, you're making really weird assumptions about your other white people that, like, oh, I feel safe around cops? Not at all. Like, w- uh, the difference is that she could also get out of a ticket, right? Like, right. think of any normal-ass American. I don't care what color you are. Um, and I'm not belittling, you know, a black person's experience. I'm just saying that nobody sees a cop behind them and doesn't slow down or start, like, make sure that their seatbelt's on, you know? Like, everybody's like, oh, crap, right? Um, True. And then I'd say that I grew up in a really weird scenario where I'm not sure why this is, 
but in my family i would say that there is v- like very little respect for law enforcement um hmm. i'm not going to say it's like an extreme right wing thing but there's a little bit of that in it um and also very little respect for the military um i'd say it comes from two different areas i'd say it comes from the fact that a lot of my family were um ministers and they were pentecostal ministers and there's this kind of like i hate the term not of this world but i'd say like a more realistic version of that where literally saving souls is our only agenda like we don't care what the government's doing um and then on on top of that um this idea that like people that become cops or people that be that join the military uh aren't smart or like don't have a a ton of respect for those types of people anyway um and so like why are you telling me what to do um and so i didn't grow up i didn't grow up with any real reverence for cops or servicemen at all um and i say that because i think that would be very true among um well we 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 see this we read about this where it's like oh like i i've i remember reading an article specifically about like these white parents that adopted black kids and then told them don't trust police officers because you're black right um Mm -hmm. which i don't want to get into the issues there but the point is that that's what they grew up thinking about police officers and i grew up not really thinking that i would ever believe or trust a police officer either and so i would probably interpret most interactions with police officers like i I would always be hostile there's no way there's Mm -hmm. no way a cop is going to ask me what i'm doing and i'm going to respond like hi sir how are you today and like bend over and salute them you know like uh, because that's the way i i didn't grow up thinking these people were important or or whatever and that's like mean but but i just say that because there's like a lens that we all view things that's ingrained in us where like there are other people that are brought up in the military yeah and Hmm. or their parents are cops or whatever unlike my friend um but that that really admire those positions and i'm not sure i ever did i always assume the guys on the football team no offense asan but the guys (laughs) on the football team who whose iq is 82 Uh and were linemen were gonna end up being cops and those guys were gonna end up being firemen and it's like okay like yeah and that that sounds really mean but but i i think you understand where i'm coming from where that was never like yeah like every kindergartner wants to be a firefighter a lot do but i never had that idea in my head ever because i just assumed that that wasn't actually like a measure of a a man i guess but a lot of people think that way in america um i i so uh, yeah i think so yeah, I think there there is there's a difference though, um, in that, and here and I guess this is more so about um, what I was saying is like, I think with black people or just people of color, I mean, but I mean, if we want to talk specifically about black people and the police, I think that the 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 fear or the the distrust of police, it, it comes it, it's a different kind of distrust than say like. A young you know young white suburban kid who you know grew up listening to punk music and doesn't trust authority and stuff like that because the fear or or anyone who you know is about to get pulled over and they feel nervous or scared or whatever the i agree but doesn't that doesn't that give more to my point say that again that's that's my point that's what? my point the idea is that 
we would have these feelings and it would filter our interactions with the police. I'm not saying I would have the same experience. I'm saying that like I have a bit of that same feeling and that other people already have a way bigger distrust of, of the police and that would filter their experience. Don't you think? That's I guess, what I was getting. I guess. At. Sorry. I clar- clarify your point one more time. I, I guess my, I'm, my I'm, point is that like people, the way that people were raised, uh huh, or the things that were taught to them would filter their experiences with police officers. I think mine is uh, always going to have be sorry. a negative perception. Gotcha. I yeah. I, I would disagree. I would disagree with that. I think, and I would say the black experience with police in America is a bit different in terms of how we're exposed to it because. It's not just our own experiences with the police in terms of how we were raised or like how our parents feel about the police, anything like that. I think it's it's a little bit more um, fundamental to where we see ourselves um, depicted in society um, mm. and, and a lot of times where we feel like we are in society, because when you see um, when you see movies or when you see news clips of uh, of of police throughout history, um, you know, physically abusing people or, or, or doing anything like that or mishandling people, a lot of times those faces are black. And I think that is that is that is part of it. And when you when you I, I think it's impossible to take a conversation about black people in America outside of the context of slavery, because there is no black person in America who exists outside the context of American slavery and history. I'm not saying that slavery still exists. What I'm saying is, like, if you're black and you live in America, you are a part of whether you like it or not, you're a part of the narrative of black people in this country. And at some point, you know, a couple hundred years ago, that narrative included the enslavement of black people in America. So like, you can't remove that context from the, the you know, how we are, how we see ourselves in society. It's it's not, um, and it's, 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 not, it's not something that we cannot talk about when you talk about the black experience in America because that's always going to be a part of how we were viewed in this country. And mm-hmm. it's not just slaves. It's, it's civil rights. I mean, we weren't even looked at as equals in, you know, in, in equals in terms of like social and economic involvement until the, the 60s. Which is, you know, not a long time ago. So it's like uh, the black experience and then policing is, is, of course, tied into that. So like the black experience with police is, is a little bit more foundational to like where we've been slotted in society throughout history. And so like uh, the fear of the black people's uneasiness with police doesn't necessarily come with, you know, being taught that it, it comes with um feeling like you're going to be treated differently because because of the color of your skin i doubt that you know i I don't want to speak for you but have you ever experienced a point where like your fear of being pulled over have you ever thought man because of the way i look i might get treated differently than if i looked some if i look differently you know what i mean like if i i don't i don't i doubt you've had that experience and that's a very real fear that people have uh because you know (laughs) Uh, and, and it's it's so interesting because it's like a, it's it's a it's a snake eating it's it's a snake eating its own tail in a lot of ways because it's like because of the, the systemic um, and sort of perpetual poverty of people of color. Oh my god! I totally I've never understood that reference before until you just said it. What? The snake eating its own tail. Yeah, I mean a it's vicious a, cycle. I've I never even knew what that symbol meant, and I've seen it. <laughs> And now I get it. Yeah, Thank it, you. it is Go that ahead. because because of the the perpetual poverty uh, of black people in this country that traces its right. roots that would, back. So 
so that that would always be my point and i don't yeah. know why you and i are so obsessed with race but anyway <laughs> um and now we're, we're back liberals. there we talk about well, it's all about race for us liberals. yeah but most liberals wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> They would be me, like, bowing down to you, um, which I think would be wildly disrespectful and everything yeah. wrong with white people in America thinking <laughs> that they're liberals. But anyway, um, anyway, uh, back, back to uh, – so what you were just saying about, like, the vicious cycle, um, uh, I just think that the – I want to couch every race conversation in a poverty conversation. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. I want to get rid of race entirely, and I want to say that um, – the reason that black people are targeted in the u.s is because they're poor and the reason that they're poor is because they're black because we made them poor right um and i say we as in america not right. me yeah. um but uh, i think that that is like 100 percent all everything that's missing from the entire conversation and, is all these people that never paid attention in history class yes. and don't understand why black people are in the situation they are and this is it's where, because they're poor and if yeah. you care about black people we need to give a lot more money to schools where black people are raised and this is where i think the right uh uh where i think the conservative side of this argument of the, well this one particular conservative point i think is kind of right but still wrong i think conservatives do get it right when they say things like um you know uh like a lot of the uh you know a lot of the 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 black conservatives who are some of the most lauded voices in black conservatism right now uh they like to push this idea of black people denouncing their victimhood and stop treating black people like victims and mm -hmm. and the thing that's holding black people back is th them feeling like victims and expecting a handout and blah 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 and and what really will bring about equality and stuff like that is black people um rising up social economically financially mm -hmm. i think that part of it that part of it that very specific but that end part of it is correct in that you know equality across race gender um religion anything any kind of equality in in a in a place like america is only going to come about with socioeconomic equality and mm -hmm. so uh, racism is an uh in a financial issue it's an economic issue and it always has been and it always will be and it won't be solved until black people are are able and uh, able to uh participate in this socio-economic uh, system that we have going here. And until they mm -hmm. are, racism will always be a problem, even if it doesn't look like, you know, people wearing white hoods and, and lynches, uh, lynchings. Uh, so I think that is true. I think Republicans or I don't want to say Republicans. I say conservatives do get that part of it right. But I don't mm -hmm. think uh, <laughs> I think where they get it wrong is saying that is they just deny. Right. All of they, that dismisses right. again what we're saying. It's dismissive of the subjective experience of people who do feel victimized by various systems that have historically right, empirically right. Held, held them back. So because right. I, I, I would I would say every day that racism is real. Yeah. But I would say that that's. Uh, that they're approaching the problem from the wrong direction. Yeah. And I would say, let's approach the poverty problem. Let's approach the education problem. That's because right. that, that, those are the real effects. There's a reason that we have historically black colleges. It's because they weren't allowed into our colleges. Right. right? <laughs> and so uh, like, just understand the history for a second. Right. Yeah. Uh, and most people, most people don't. Yeah. Um, and that, and, and I was going to say one more thing that is, and then conversely, yeah, I think that's where the left often gets it wrong is they approach racism as simply a temperament or a, 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 tr a social, 
problem, whereas racism is not as big a social problem as it is an economic problem. Um, you, you cannot legislate people's um, temperament yeah. and you can't you can't temp, you can't legislate their feelings. But what you can do is you can rectify the damage that's been done to the black community through financial and economic um, legislation. And that's what's most important. So it, it's, it's extremely frustrating to see black people gunned down in the streets by police. Um, and I'm not even going to get into whether or not it was, quote unquote, like justifiable in a court. But to see black people gunned down in the streets by police and then to see white people in Congress wearing kente cloths and masks and stuff like that, like that's really infuriating because oh, that, man. no one's asking for that. No <laughs> one wants that. Instead, it's how about embarrassing. It, it's it embarrassing. It's embarrassing. If instead, how about we we invest into black communities so that the, the 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 crime and the angst and the desperation that leads to black encounters with the police that end in violence don't have to happen anymore? Because right, you know right. you, you know what I've never because it comes from because it comes from both sides, yeah. right? And, and I'm not saying it comes from both sides in terms of like oh the black people are doing something. It's it's the police are policing poverty yeah. that was created right yeah like we need to figure out both ends of that equation but go ahead right yeah because yeah i was just gonna say because what i've never seen is someone who looks like nancy pelosi shot in the street <laughs> by the police and the reason that that doesn't happen is because she does not have the the experience nor the con historical context of a young black person and, right. and not 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 I'm not saying experience in the sense of, oh, she doesn't know what it means to be black. What I'm saying is Nancy Pelosi has never has never had to experience systemic poverty, has never had to weigh the weigh the pros and cons of, well, I could commit petty crime to feed my family or get a dead end job because I don't have any skills because I have a lack of education. She's never had mm -hmm. to face those crossroads. So she'll never be in a position where it's either, you know, engage with the police, you know, and, and really sacrifice all my dignity to just do what the police say or to, you know, try to figure out what's the best way to, for me to survive this and be able to feed my family. That she'll mm -hmm. never have to deal with that or come to those crossroads because she's never had to experience what black people have had to experience in the country and th and that's that's real you know what i mean and all of that is sort of playing in my in the background of my mind like when i get pulled over by the police and i'm and and i consider myself privileged as a as a black american to to not be in um and not not to have experienced the level of poverty that so many of people who look like me find themselves in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even even though I, you know, I've experienced poverty, but not the not to, to the level of that most people uh, of with you know brown skin experience in this country. Right. And that, so yeah. And and so on just one side thing, and then I want to come back to what you said because you always have interesting things to say. But Thank um, you. <laughs> the uh, so so on that note, and this isn't I don't like the word white privilege in the slightest but so i've sent our links for our podcast to other people before but especially uh -huh. there was one where we all we did was talk about race and how this one is turning into it too and multiple people thought it was two white dudes talking about race that is funny which uh, that's uh, i don't know I I, I I never expected that response uh but I'm, I guess I guess there is a perception of like sounding black, right? Yeah, and everything definitely that comes that. around with that. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, on the on the what you just said in terms of um, you were talking about um, uh, kind of what it's like to be black and try to um, navigate this world, right? Especially with with the way the police work, right? Um, and then just the way that 
uh, you didn't say the word success, but I'll relate it to that in terms of like socioeconomic um, advancement. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I have like an affinity for South Africa. Their, their, their movies related to like living in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that uh, Americans in general, uh, but especially white Americans or, or just, I'll just say, um, uh, well-off Americans, well-off yeah. Americans, regardless of the race, wouldn't mm-hmm. understand. When you watch movies about third world countries, you understand this like dog eat dog kind of scenario where it's like, I'm in poverty. The only way to get out of poverty is to do X, Y, and Z, right? Um, have you heard of the movie Tootsie? So let's see. This sounds familiar. I want to say it was nominated for an Academy Award as like a foreign language. It's T-S-O-T-S-I. Um, okay. But it just screws with all, all of your moral convictions. And mm. every American should be required to watch movies <laughs> like this. And there are lots of ones that come out of South Africa that are, that are about this. Yeah. Where it's like this, like, like, why would, like, why would somebody rob a store? Right, so you're watching the in in America. We're watching the the recording, and it's some black guy with his hood up comes into Seven Eleven. It's like, right. what's that thug doing? Blah blah blah. Right. And then you watch Tootsie, and you see this guy who's like basically starving in the townships, and he's mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to feed his family. And mm-hmm. it just it wrecks it wrecks any idea of like preconceived ideas of what people are supposed to be doing in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wish I, I just think people should, should pay attention to history class. That's always what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Cause you would understand all of this. You would, and, and I hate, I hate when people act like, Oh, like we didn't learn. Notice that I didn't say, which I think a lot of like 20 something year old or 30 something year old liberals be like, Oh, they didn't teach us this. They taught us this. You weren't listening. Yeah. I remember in my eighth grade history class, <laughs> we had listening. we watched Roots. We watched yeah. Roots. Ten hours yep. long. We watched Roots. We had to lay down on the floor next to each other and act like we were in a slave ship. My my teacher wow. took took masking tape and put it on the ground. And we all had to lay uh, on the ground, and she was like, "How wow. would you feel to be in this situation?" Like wow. we learned this. Don't tell me that you didn't learn this. You weren't paying attention. You didn't care at the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway. See, I yeah, I, I agree with that. I think slavery movies are important. I do wish that there were more movies, and I think there are these stories being told now, but I wish there were more movies that young people were forced, quote-unquote, forced to watch that depicted the what, the systemic oppression of black people in modern America. Like, right. Like there, there's right, because very, after slavery, you guys have all been fine. Yeah, that, that, and, and, that, and I think as a young person, that is the impression that you get, that, oh, slavery is over in 1860-something, and we're all good now. It's like yeah. no, like and and then or and then and then there's like a huge gap for a hundred years, and then you start talking about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and right, then right. after that, it's kind of over, and then everything is fine. But I think like it's important. No one ever talks about redlining and, <laughs> and 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 banks and and predatory and not, not predatory, but restrictive loan pop uh, uh, loan practices with and banks. Bitcoin solves for this, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. But no one talks about that stuff. One because I think it's kind of a boring topic. No one. Right. Right, there weren't any about, wars happening during right. that era. There's nothing Teddy sensa- Roosevelt went yeah. to the Philippines, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, there's nothing sensational about it, black people not getting bi- small business loans in the 80s. But mm-hmm. like that, that stuff is important, and it's important because it's important for people to realize that like 
the systemic oppression of black people is not we're not always talking about the monstrosity of slavery or mm. even, you know, you know, the 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 blatant racism of, you know, the early 20th century America. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the systemic uh, practices and biases that are against black people in almost every financial financial institution that exists and like we have we have to counteract these things like you mm-hmm. have to and and it's not just enough to pay lip service into uh into say black lives matter on instagram like we have to legislate change that r- not just oh that makes it so that black people can do this and black people can no we have to make real tangible investments financially into communities that's the only way because it's not enough to it's not yeah. enough to um it's not enough to have um what do you call it like uh, affirmative action in universities or in workplaces it's not enough that is that is trying to put a band-aid on a gunshot wound what well, we I would need say to- i would go farther and say it's it's not that it's not enough it's it's the wrong end of the equation yeah it's the it, band-aid yes, on the exactly. gunshot wound stop shooting people Right. Yeah. It's like there's a reason there's a reason that like uh, that, you know, uh, in in impoverished areas, the worst teachers teach there. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you have to you have to fix that problem. Yeah. And and they they will pay us more, but you get paid Mm -hmm. like 10 percent more. Yeah. And that doesn't mean anything. Right. Like you should you need you're going to need to compensate teachers a lot more yep. to get the best ones there. Right. Um, it's like it's like if you were doing algebra and you got and you were handed an equation that was like X equals, you know, you know, A plus B. Right. And you had to solve for X and you're like, well, solving for x with these numbers that they've given me is really hard so let's just change the value of x and then the equation will be fine it doesn't right, work right. that way like you have to <laughs> you have solve yeah you have to solve the equation to get the x that you want you just can't change the x it doesn't work that way like you can't just say oh we want more black people in colleges and therefore more black people in uni- in uh in workplaces so we're just mm-hmm. going to do that Right, and so and that's and that's and that's where South Africa is so wrecked, yeah, so wrecked because they have quotas, yeah. Um, and so what happens is like anybody who's qualified and who's who's not black leaves because yep. if you can't get a job, you just leave, and they're just wrecking it because of that. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that they're doing that is really cool. So my friend works for the biggest venture capital firm in South Africa, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and their mandate from the government is that they're only allowed to invest in black entrepreneurial um, pursuits, mm-hmm. which is really cool because what that means is that uh, mm-hmm. these are these are black people that have ideas and businesses that they want to get going, and in that scenario where okay you were you know uh, disenfranchised and and you know didn't have a a, a lot. Um, you know, going for you for however long historically, but if you have right. a good idea and you could run a business, these people are going to give you money and you get to be the boss, right? Yep. You're, you're, you're deserving of being the boss because you came to us with this thing and you're, you're going to, you're going to run it as opposed to the opposite where, like you just said, the bandaid on the gunshot wound, it's like, Hey, yes. come to us. Normally you didn't grow up in any kind of scenario where, where you would have anybody who's going to give you money or take you seriously, but guess mm-hmm. what? Come to us, pitch to us. If you have a good idea, we're going to give you money. We'll invest in what you're doing, mm-hmm. which I think is like a a brilliant way to solve it. And it mm-hmm. also doesn't perpetuate like racial categories right. um, on on job applications because I've I read them in South Africa. It says like 
if you were among these color groups, which are which were instituted by apartheid, mm. then you get preferential treatment, which is just this absurd idea because apartheid <laughs> invented these racial groups, right? And so they're just going to keep doing those racial groups, yeah. Like like oh, you know, you were colored then, and now you're colored now, and we're going to keep doing the colored thing, and it's like right. Wait, how do we stop doing that? Like, why mm-hmm. are we, why are we still doing that? Yeah, it is, it is kind anyway. of a catch twenty two because like we want like the problem with racism in in America specifically, like the problem with racism and why it doesn't work is because you're creating are you're creating arbitrary, arbitrary differences, yeah. yeah, arbitrary categories and differences in order to segregate people out. Uh, but it, it it seems counterintuitive. But the only way to really right that wrong is to buy those this is where we always same, disagree yeah, yeah. I, and that and that's i think that is where we disagree but i think you you have to because it's not that everybody is disadvantaged that's not or at yeah. least systemically that's just not that in america that's just not the case like black people have had a different experience by design since they were brought to this country so you do have to i think in my opinion address it along certain uh, uh, people group lines. And I mean, I'm obviously not the, 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 I don't have the mind of the engineer to figure out how to do it, but like mm-hmm. you have to do something. Like, I, I just think that's, it's so paramount. Uh, man, I was going to say something about what you said about, um, oh, that's the thing. I do want to clarify when people say like systemic uh, racial oppression or systemic racism, when you say the word systemic, I think people get, really uneasy about that because it impl- it, it seems to imply that like there's some nefarious algorithm running in the background of everything that right, America does right, to hold right. black people down. When I when people and, say but sus- when most but when most people say it they do mean that. Right. And I think maybe we but, should but change But you don't. <laughs> I don't mean it. I, I think when I say systemic oppression I I I mean it's oppression that happens whether or not people are aware of it and right, I think right. it's it's oppression that exists generationally and i think that's probably a better word for it like generational oppression i think is a, is a big one because it's just a part a, of the system a lot that's of people with, a lot of conservatives when they cr- are critical of of just black people in this country they say you know they say oh the, you know that kid that kid was shot by the police because he made a bad decision or that kid's in jail because he made a bad decision that kid's mm. poor because he didn't pull himself up by his own bootstraps and that <laughs> and there's this myth of the bootstraps Amer- yeah <laughs> bootstraps and such there's this myth of the american dream that like you're supposed to do it on your own and and that's the most american thing is to like do it on your own when in reality that's not I don't think that's what the American dream is at all. The reason we celebrate people who like overcome insurmountable odds and make something of their of themselves is because that should not be the norm. Like the norm should be right, right. We have created a wealth amongst our community that we all get to share in and that we all use to promote e- each other's flourishing. That's the I, that's the dream of a community. It's not like well, I made my millions. Now you go off and you figure it out. Like that like the people mm-hmm. who have to oh, oh, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps should be celebrated, but should be celebrated as an anomaly, not as the norm. And that, and I think that is a problem. So like cuz it's, it's an American it's an American addiction. It's why it people is. move here too. It is. I've thought a lot about this where it's like why do Americans think this way? I don't think we're indoctrinated this way. Well, I think we are to some extent, but in the same extent, the people that immigrate here think the same thing, and that's why mm-hmm. they're here. Yep. And but it's funny because no one, everyone, 
so we want to we we love to celebrate pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps as like the american way but so mm. many of the most influential and most successful americans have never had to do that and that's mm. the point uh the like and, and so when I say, yeah, like when <laughs> I say, when I say generational, like systemic oppression, it's the idea that imagine a kid growing up in Southern California, right? Like who wants to be, be an entrepreneur. So they want to start a business, right? And so the, the, the line of the realm of possibility between one kid who has a, a, a parent who has both parents, let's just say, so there's a kid who has both parents who have good credit and a decent job that they've been working for a long time and a decent credit history versus another kid who has one parent who has an okay job, not a lot of great credit history because their parents didn't and their parents didn't. There's a difference. So if the if kid A wants to start a business, you know, or wants, even wants to get a small business loan, you know what that kid can do? Hey, mom and dad, I, I don't have any credit history because I'm 18 years old, but I really want to start this business or I just finished college and I need to start this business. Can you co-sign this business loan for mm -hmm. me? That kid now has a shot that kid B is not going to get. And where race so that and that's not necessarily a racial issue. That's that's a poverty issue where race comes in is kid B. If kid B is a brown person, that could be like Lil B. Yeah. If Lil B is in that position if the little B is is brown and in that position, uh -huh. that he's probably in that position more because likely than brown. not because his yeah, parents yeah. were not his grandparents were not allowed to uh, get small business loans, so they didn't have any lines of credit to hand to his parents, and his and his dad is locked up because of the war on drugs, and so he. So now there's nothing to hand down to him. There's no safety net. There's no and it, and I'm not talking about trust funds here. I'm not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. his mom bit. does not have a strong enough credit history to apply for a, a twenty thousand dollar business loan. Well, it's it's like when I got audited and I started mm -hmm. getting checks in the mail. Yeah. Uh, and I borrowed money from my parents. Yeah. And and what's crazy about that entire situation is that the uh, well, first off, that was the most stressful period of my life my my wife had and she doesn't want me saying this on the podcast for sure um <laughs> but she took uh she took a new job where yeah. she was 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 basically demoted um and uh was making quite a bit less money mm -hmm. and uh also was unemployed for a little while and on top of that i wasn't making as as much money and i borrowed uh, I borrowed like $12,000 from my parents. Mm -hmm. And the the crazy thing about that whole scenario, mm -hmm. and we'll call this systemic oppression, um, not directed towards me, but how right. it would how it would play out in a systemic scenario, right. um, is the fact that at the end of the day, I went through the entire audit process mm -hmm. and I had to pay, I had to pay the uh, accountant, I'm gonna say I paid him $3,000, which is just, okay absurd to yeah. me right like in terms yeah. of taxes like screw that yeah. um and guess what at the end of the day the irs owed me money mm -hmm. i ended up getting like a 680 dollar check or something like it wasn't a ton of money yeah um but the point is that they were just like berating me with this audit sending bills to my house mm -hmm. saying like demonstrate this within two weeks or you owe this amount of money right and i was working my wife was working i was panicked and i'm just like mom dad I need this so I can sleep tonight, right? <laughs> yeah. 
because otherwise they're li- they they start like deducting pay, you know, garnishing your wages, all of, of these things. Yeah. Um, and you know, imagine that same exact scenario in somebody who's yeah. again, like you just said, we're not talking about a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. But twelve thousand dollars. Twelve thousand. But but people can't. Like it's absurd that that could ruin somebody's life. Yeah. $12,000 could ruin somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, I didn't even owe the money. Yeah. Like the IRS is just so, it's so absurd that that's, that scenario is even possible. Mm-hmm. $12,000, $12,000. <laughs> $12, and and my, my wife was so mad at me. Yeah. She's like, this is your fault. It's Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> all these bills were showing up at our house and she's just like, like she's opening mm-hmm. envelopes like you're kidding me they they're telling us five thousand dollars yeah and i basically told her i had the money but i didn't yeah man anyway, <laughs> anyway. um yeah that, i mean i think it, do you have any more thoughts on the systemic race i didn't know we were going to go here today but it was it's been good do you have any more thing to say about that before we move i mean on? All, all i was going to say is that um i'm glad we're on the same page and i completely sympathize with the defensiveness because so a lot of my friends who talk about systemic racism they mean there is like this cabal right Mm -hmm. and they think they're enlightened because they know that there's a cabal uh that's that's doing this um and that's when i get defensive too i'm like screw that like the vast majority of americans are not racist there are racist effects that happen Mm -hmm. um and I would just always point it to the past and say that we got here because of what happened in the past, a lot less of why of what's going on right now. And the really easy way to look at that is that if you look at people from Africa that mm-hmm. immigrate to the US, their income's really high. Yep. I think the average income of a Nigerian American is like $100,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that? Uh, well, this is the whole debate, like, is Obama actually an African American in the way that that term was historically used, or is Kamala you know, an African American, um, because her family wasn't even here for that. Now mm-hmm. the difference is that she is a descendant from slaves, but from a different country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Obama was not. But anyway, I I I appreciate that you said that because I completely agree with that, and I wish more people understood that. That's I'm always abrasive be- to the term systemic racism because they don't mean what you said. Yeah. They mean the cabal. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just no, I I totally agree. Um, yeah. I I think it, I think it's a, it's it's a lazy way to to characterize it, and it's not and it's a it's not a constructive way to characterize it when trying to think of like actual, yeah, not constructive at all because yeah. it's a whack a mole. Who we're we gonna go after? Yeah. we're gonna go we're gonna go to Comet Ping Pong Pizza and shoot up the cabal. Um, yeah, yeah, and that, <laughs> and and if you really did believe, and and I do believe that there are still racist people and racist people who hold powerful positions in the country. Yeah, um, I do believe that. But what? Even if we were going to concede that idea that there are a lot of racist people in the world who just don't like black people and don't want to see them succeed, mm-hmm. the best way to counteract that is to not go around with pitchforks and find the racists and weed them out. Now, granted, if they show themselves to be who they are, then get them out of here. But the best way to go about uh, defeating the power of racists is to take the power of racists out of their hands by empowering the people that they're racist against. 
if you really want to see racists get out of here, the best way to do it is not to try to cancel them on Twitter yeah, for some th something they said. The best oh, way man. to do it is to empower, empower black people so that... Why do we always end up agreeing? <laughs> I don't know, man. I've had, I've had this debate so many times with my friends. Yeah. Like, I really struggle, and maybe this is even farther than what you're saying, but I want to hear what you have to say about it. But yeah. I really struggle with the idea of protesting white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Because what it says is that you're like legitimizing what they're saying, and mm. now they have an enemy, right? Canceling, when you cancel mm. somebody on Twitter for being a white supremacist, now it's like, oh, I really am being persecuted, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that that's very counterintuitive to uh, combat those people. Yeah, I think it's, um, so I... I'm going to agree and disagree. I think that... Right. I know I went a step further there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I... So I think there is something to... Especially with institutions that we hold dear, like uh, institutions of higher learning and, mm -hmm. and things like that, where, where I think um, the safe expression of thought and progressive thought is supposed to take place. Um, I think racism is... So here's where I disagree with the right and like the, the people who say... Uh, colleges and universities are supposed to be a place where you can exercise free thought no matter what it is and no one should be silenced and, and not allowed to speak on a campus. I don't agree with that at all. I think colleges and universities should be the I actually utmost. do agree with that, but go ahead. So, I, so here's where I disagree. I think yeah. colleges and universities should be the place, the places that champion and protect and promote the um the the sharing of ideas that are in touch with at le in touch with the same reality as, as so i don't think you should be able to go to a college and university and that college and university should support you saying things that are anti-science or anti-rational thought or because i believe that racism and they just let you say them is you what, said what i would say you're allowed to say them. We're not going to support you saying them. Right. I, I, but I do think there's a there's a line between allowing. Cause, I mean, if I if I as like an individual want to go to, you know, the, the middle of a campus and 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 set up a booth that says, ask me what I think about so and so. And then people want to know. <laughs> OK, that's fine. But OK. And so now you are the meme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't think that institutions or colleges, institutions of higher learning have any responsibility to give a platform to someone with ideas that are anti-science, that are irrational, mm. that are not in touch with society of, uh, or not in touch with society's agreed upon reality. I just don't, I don't think that they're, they're there for, to serve that. I think colleges and universities should be doing the exact opposite of that. They should be trying to promote critical thinking and, 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 um, not promote or uh, i don't know not i don't know what the word is but not promote thinking that is based on pathological irrational thought processes i don't think you should support that i just i guess i guess i have a lot of faith in like truth um and i would say uh I, i'll make this religious and say i think you grew up in a similar circle where mm -hmm. um uh, we were guarded from watching certain TV shows or yeah. uh, reading certain things. Like, I think in my church, if I told them that I read The God Delusion from Richard Dawkins, they'd be worried that I would be swayed. 
And my response to that as an adult has always been, how big is your faith? Mm-hmm. Like, is God so small that I'm going to read the God delusion and Richard Dawkins is going to be right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, think about, think about like the thought process there, right? Is that what Richard Dawkins is saying basically must be true if it's going to sway me. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I think about like free speech on college campuses. But see, that's where... a big that's a big assumption that you're making. That see, I I don't I the assumption that you're making there is that the the person is make that Richard Dawkins and and I would agree with this, but that Richard Dawkins is making this argument in good faith and and is in touch with the same reality that you are. I don't think that there there's a growing number of people on Earth who are not good faith actors and are not in touch with the same reality that most rational people at on college campuses are. So they're just are. lying. You said what? So they're just lying. They're either lying or they are have been convinced dogmatically of some ideology that is not in touch with reality and I don't think that in colleges have any obligation to give platform to that. Honestly, I don't. Um, and, 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 you know, but I'm not saying that there shouldn't be co- like contrary opinions allowed to be expressed at college campuses for sure. As long as the person is able to demonstrate that they are a good faith actor and that they're in touch with rational reality. Cause if not, then what is the point? Like, what are we entertaining this for? You're, you're, you're essentially throwing a wrench in the machine of, of, of getting people to think more critically about the universe. And that's what colleges are for. I mean, and so if you're, if you're purposely or whether you know it or not do like hindering that process, then I don't think colleges or universities have any responsibility to, to plat to give that a platform. That's, that, that's my opinion. And I would put racism in the category of things that are not in touch with empirical reality. There's no data that shows that there's any meaningful difference that you can quantify between one person or another, you know, character-wise or intelligence or whatever, based on the color of their skin. It's just not – that's not an agreed-upon reality that we all have. And so if anyone comes to the, some college campus spouting that, it's like, you know? Yeah, I just I – guess, I guess I would say we can easily prove them wrong. So it's not like a – Yeah, and I, I agree with that, but I don't think it scales – and I don't think that that scales well. I think that because there, there are now with the culture that social media and the internet has created, there are now millions and millions of people who buy into ideologies that are put forth by bad faith actors that are not in touch with reality, and people buy them mm-hmm. wholesale. So it's not enough any, and and those voices tend to be very loud and often violent. So I don't, I, I don't think, I, and I think. Um, the fair exchange of of rational ideas should be like protected like like the freaking hope diamond on college campuses anything that like is clearly bad faith or is not in touch with like rational reality i think should just be thrown out because it's a waste of time and it only detracts from what i don't know we're trying Uh, to do as civilized people my response is that uh we can beat that and we don't, if, if, if you, I guess it's what I was saying earlier, but if you silence that, um, you legitimize it. All right. That's going to do it for us here at the weekly regular this week. Um, we had a, a couple more minutes of this conversation, but it got cut off because Drew had to move outside to do some recording because his kid was asleep and the, like an air conditioning unit came on and it got all wonky and stuff like that with the audio. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like this is a good place to stop, um, for this episode. Uh, thanks for checking us out. Um, you didn't get to hear the sign-offs, but you can find uh, Drew online at betterbuild.io for all of your app 
building needs and coding and, and whatever else that includes. Uh, obviously, I'm not an expert. Uh, you can find me online at Asan the DJ across social media. That's at A-H-S-O-H-N the DJ. You can find me at Asan.com. You can also find episodes of this podcast and more at weeklyregular.com. Uh, yeah, we will uh, catch y'all next week for another episode. Thanks a lot. Bye. <laughs>